This morning, we are uh, rounding a corner in our study of the book of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, but we are starting in on what Paul uh, leads us into this idea of spiritual warfare. And the title of the sermon today is Strength for the Fight. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. And today, I'm going to be uh, reading and teaching from the New King James Version, um, and, and it'll be clear as I teach why we're going with such a different translation today. So Ephesians chapter 6, let's read our text, uh, starting in verse 10. Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, he says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil in that day. And having done all to stand. Church, this is the word of the Lord for his church this morning. Let's pray together. Father, it is good to gather as your children, to gather together as your kingdom family. And as we gather today, Lord, it is not lost on us that we are gathering in your presence. Ask you, Lord, to anoint the teaching and the preaching of your word. Holy Spirit, that you would affect the words that are spoken here to change the way we think and what happens as we transact in the world around us in our hearts. Help us to grow and mature. For the glory of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Well, we've been studying the book of Ephesians for two years, and Paul has been clear throughout the, the book of Ephesians that Jesus, the King, is on the move. And that Jesus has come to save us from living lives separated from God uh, by our sin and our rebellion. And that through Jesus, we're now adopted by God as his own children. And through Jesus, as God's children, we are brought together as God's own kingdom family. And God's purposes in doing this, in saving us and bringing us together as the church, as his kingdom family, this plan is unfolding in Jesus throughout history just as God has planned. The church is central to what God is doing. And we are invited into this new life together with God. And we've seen over the last few weeks how this new life in Jesus, it changes everything about our life. It changes our marriages. They're changed by the gospel. Our parent relationships with children um, as, as, a, as an older child, as I relate to my parents, and as my young children relate to me, those relationships are, are changed by the gospel. Our professional relationships in business, at work, those are changed by the gospel. We are new creations in Jesus. We live new lives, and we live our lives in a new way. And so now Paul really uh, takes a sharp turn here in chapter 6. In this final section of the last chapter of this letter, Paul exposes a real danger that we all face. And he says that we are at war. Now, it doesn't always seem like we're at war. It doesn't always seem like there's an enemy of God who is opposing this new work. Uh, there is, though. 
And Paul points it out. He says, you, you have to be aware of these things. There is an enemy who's resisting the work of God at every level and in every relationship in your life. You, we, all of us are at war. Historically, there have been thousands of books written on warfare. Back in the 5th century BC, Sun Tzu was a, a military general. He was also a, a philosopher, and he wrote a book that has been wildly influential and is still read and studied today called The Art of War. In The Art of War, he makes this statement that resonates today, and even in our passage of Scripture, you hear it. He says, all warfare is based on deception. He goes, therefore, when you're able to do so, feign incapacity, right? Fake, fake that you're incapacitated. He's like, when you're active, fake inactivity. When you're near, make it appear that you're far. When you're far away, make it appear that you're near. Offer the enemy a bait to lure him. Fake disorder and then strike. He says, pretend inferiority and then encourage his arrogance. Very insightful, these ancient words. All warfare is based on deception, he says. It was as true in the 5th century BC as it was in the 1st century AD. In our, in our text today, Paul says, we must stand firm against the wiles of the devil. That's, that's the, one of the reasons that the New King James just translates this so well. The wiles of the devil, it's referring to the scheming plans of Satan. It reminds me of the Looney Tune character, Wiley Coyote right? The word wiles or wily, it means they're sly, cunning, devious, displaying a lack of candor, concealing their aims. A wily foe requires a heavy hand to defeat. That's Paul's point in using that word. General Dwight Eisenhower, who I probably should refer to as President Eisenhower, he said war is a terrible thing, but if you're going to get into it, you've got to do it all the way. Civil War Union General William Sherman said that war is cruelty and there's no use trying to reform it. For the crueler it is, the sooner it will be over. And then he, he sums up this statement in a phrase that has been quoted uh, countless times since the Civil War. He says, war is hell. Likewise, the Apostle Paul closes his letter to the Ephesians with this section about the reality of the spiritual war that is raging around us. And he says that we have an enemy who engages in deceit and scheming. The devil, he says, is a wily, dirty dog of a foe using deception, deceitful, destructive tactics. And he's warning us that God's eternal plan in bringing things together in Jesus is going to be opposed the work of God in your life is going to be opposed at every stage. God's plans for your life will face opposition. God's plans for your marriage, God's plans for your family, for your job, God's plans for your overall health and happiness, all of these areas where God is at work in your life and around you all face violent opposition because Satan hates what God is doing. He hates what God is doing in us he hates that God is making us new creations. He hates that, that we desire Jesus to do this work of revival in us and through us and around us. He hates the work of revival in marriage and in our family relationships. Satan is actively moving to undermine the work of God in each of our lives. And his destructive, deceitful, deceptive plans must be opposed and exposed. And so in our text today, 
we see three things. Paul brings out three things that we need to see as we, as we introduce this idea this morning of spiritual warfare. First, or point number one that we'll look at, is that we must recognize the nature of our battle. The second thing we're going to look at is our need to recognize the nature of our enemy that we fight. And then the third area that Paul wants to make sure that we see and understand is that we need to use God's resources to stand firm in this battle. So let's jump right in. The first point, we must recognize the nature of the battle. Verse 12, Paul tells us, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, I don't understand everything that he's saying. I don't know what all of that means. But Paul is plainly and clearly saying that we are in a spiritual battle against Satan and these demonic forces. He's saying that we have an enemy who has all kinds of cunning strategies, who will, attack to, who will attack us and is striving to attack us in cunning and surprising ways. And we're, we are not able to withstand these attacks on our own because they're spiritual attacks. He wants to make it clear that this is a battle that in and of ourselves we are not equipped for because it is existing in the spiritual realm. We are at battle, he says, and we must be prepared. This is a timely reminder for us Christians because we can easily forget that we live our lives in a spiritual war zone. I mean, even here at Reality Ventura, over the last many months, as we've been studying the book of Ephesians and the major themes of the book of Ephesians, rejoicing in the fact that we've been adopted by God, that we're kingdom kids, rejoicing in the fact that we've been brought together and people being brought together is not always a good thing, right? I don't know if you've ever been to a family reunion, but it's not always the best thing to get together with a group of people. It's not always the best thing to get together with your family, but because of what Jesus has done in dealing with our sins and making us new creations in him, it is a beautiful thing when we gather together. And we've been rejoicing in that and making much of that. It's also very common in the church to talk about churches as hospitals where spiritually wounded people come to get care and, and to heal and to be nurtured and to mature and to grow. And that is another beautiful way of thinking about the church. But it can be rare sometimes to think about or to hear about the spiritual battle that we're engaged in. And so sometimes it can be easy for us to forget that there is a battle raging around us. In fact, one of Satan's schemes is to lull us into complacency so that we forget that there's a spiritual battle. We can be lulled into spiritual complacency and engage in political battles forgetting that the enemy is not of flesh and blood. The enemy is spiritual in nature. The fight is different. In fact, even using the term battle is a little deceptive because when I think of battles, I think of something different than what Paul's talking about, especially in our modern age, the way that we fight wars. We have a lot of pilots that never leave the U.S. They can fly drones in other countries engaging in combat and reconnaissance operations remotely from the United States even. We have, we have this technology that allows ships to do things hundreds of miles away from them. That's not the idea that Paul is getting at here. Paul uses a word. Uh, the word actually can be accurately translated as struggle, and it has this sporting reference, like a wrestling match struggle. We are face-to-face, -face, he's saying, in this struggle with an enemy who has singled us out, 
who's sneak attacking us and is trying to take us down to the mat. That's the kind of battle that Paul is talking about. The type of war we're engaged in is hand-to-hand combat, face-to-face with an enemy, like two wrestlers locked in a contest. And who does Paul say we're struggling with? Well, he says, not flesh and blood. That person that raises your blood pressure, they're not the enemy. That agenda that that person has, the person speaking that agenda is not your enemy. We have spiritual enemies that are underneath these things. This is a spiritual battle. He says our struggle is with principalities, powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Spiritual battles, a spiritual battle against spiritual forces who are willing to sneak and scheme and blindside us in the physical world that we live in. He says we must recognize the nature of our battle. The second thing we need to recognize is the nature of our enemy. Our real enemies are not human, but demonic. Paul makes that very clear here. We don't know as much as we'd like to know maybe about what Paul's describing. Is he describing different ranks of evil spirits or something like that? We simply can't know that by this passage. But English theologian and pastor John Stott noticed that these opponents have have, uh, three distinct characteristics, and I think it's worth it for us uh, to understand our enemy. And so I'm just going to share some things that John Stott has observed. He says, um, John Stott says that our enemy is powerful, right? They're, they're rulers and authorities is how they're referred to. They're powers and forces of evil. So they have power. But remember that when Satan tempted Jesus, even Jesus didn't, re- didn't refute him on his claim. Satan claimed that he could give him the kingdoms of this world, and Jesus didn't even argue with him. In fact, in John 31, Jesus calls Satan the prince of this world. And so we know, of course, that Satan was defeated when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, but Satan is unwilling to concede defeat. He's not yet been destroyed. And so while Satan does have power, he does not have all the power. So we have to recognize that our enemy does have some power. Another thing that John Stott points out is that our enemy is wicked. Paul says that they're, they're rulers of this dark world, the f- forces of evil. Jesus, even in John chapter 8, talks about Satan this way. He says that he was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Jesus says whenever he speaks, Satan, whenever he speaks, it's a lie. He speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The Apostle Peter warns us about Satan in a different way. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, he encourages the church, the Christians, to be of sober spirit and to be on the alert because your adversary, the devil, he says, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now he's saying that it's a nasty enemy. And if we hope to overcome this enemy, we have to remember that Satan and his demons, they have no moral principles. They have no code of honor. They have no higher feelings. There's no Geneva Convention that restricts or civilizes the weapons of their warfare. They're utterly shameless, they're utterly ruthless, and they're utterly in desperate pursuit of any victory. We are fighting a wicked enemy. And the last thing that John Stott points out from this passage is that our enemy is devious doesn't attack out in the open, or very rarely. He tries to catch us when we're not expecting it, right? Like a sneaking lion going through the grass, like a liar twisting the truth. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11 that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 
And so th- this enemy doesn't attack us openly. They like to lull us into complacency or, or lull us into discouragement or, or, or divert us into error. They'll wear us down with discouragement or half-truths. Or they dupe us into thinking we're right when our heart isn't right with God. Or they'll dupe us into thinking that we're not loved, we're not saved, we're not forgiven, we're not empowered by God because of our performance, right? They're getting us to forget about the truth of the gospel and who we are in Jesus. If you've not read the book, The Screwtape Letters, it's an old book written by C.S. Lewis. This would be an incredible season for you to do so. For you guys out there that are already ignoring me, the book is about that thick, okay? (laughs) It'll take you about an hour and a half to read. It's really good. Um, and it's, it's a letter that sort of C.S. Lewis's heart in writing this is to expose the way that Satan operates and functions as an enemy. And at one point in the Screwtape letters, this fictional demon that he's named Screwtape, he writes this to this other demon. He writes, our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves. It's such a powerful part of the book because these forces are powerful, they're wicked, but they're devious. And they'll lay low even. That is the face of our battle. And so in the first five chapters of Ephesians, Paul outlined God's purposes for humanity and for the church. Chapter six, he's reminding us that there's a powerful, wicked, devious opposition to these purposes. That there's a real enemy who opposes the work of God. Now, starting next week, we're going to look at how we respond to this opponent. What are the tools? How do I actually engage in this warfare? What, is, what can I do, right? That's always my response. Well, it's good that you've made me aware of this challenge. What can I actually do about it? And we're going to get into that and spend several weeks in that. But for today, we're going to, we're going to stay in this passage. We're going to pause here because we need to make sure that we've grasped the fact that we are a part of this battle against these wily, deceitful, and powerful forces of evil. Now, on one hand, we, shouldn't, we should be very careful not to give Satan too much credit. But on the other hand, we must not forget that we have an enemy who is desperately assaulting us. A pastor and incredible theologian, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, wrote this about this passage. Dr. Jones says, I am certain that one of the main causes of the ill state of the church today is the fact that the devil is being forgotten. All is attributed to us, right? We have all become so psychological in our attitude and thinking. We're ignorant of this great objective fact, the being, the existence of the devil, this adversary, the accuser in his fiery darts. And of course, he writes, because we are not aware of this, we we attribute all temptation to ourselves. So in this, the devil, in his wiliness, will have succeeded admirably. We become depressed. We become discouraged. We feel that we are failures, and we do not know what to do. It's a pretty, pretty sharp account, the state of the, the church, when we forget that we're in a spiritual battle. And so Paul says in our passage today that we need to recognize that we're in a spiritual battle. But we must also recognize the nature of our battle. And finally, the third point that we see in our passage is we must use God's resources to stand firm in this battle. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 and 13. Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord 
and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And at the end of our passage, it says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Again, he repeats it. He says, so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now, this battle can seem intimidating. And, and perhaps you'd be smart to maybe even feel a little intimidated by this, maybe even a little scared at the idea that we're in a spiritual battle, right? That we're in this hand-to-hand, face-to-face combat with these spiritual powers that are wicked and devious. But we shouldn't fear because God can't handle Satan and his demons. No, but the little bit of fear and the little bit of intimidation should come from the fact that left to ourselves and apart from God, we are both overpowered and outmaneuvered. We're not able to stand a chance on our own. And so Paul reminds us that we've not been left on our own. We've not been left just to our own resources. We've not been left unarmed. We are not left powerless in the face of a powerful enemy. He says, be strong. Notice the phrasing, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Paul gives us this image for the whole Christian life as spiritual warfare. And the way that we live this life is to pick up and to put on to appropriate these resources that God has given us. We lean on the Lord's strength, not our own. We trust in his power, not our own. We put on his armor, not our own. God supplies all that we need for this battle, is Paul's point. And we have more than enough. And I especially, I love this expression that he uses, to put on the armor of God. Literally, that, that could, that's trans, could be translated to put on God's armor. This is armor that belongs to God. Whose armor is it that we put on? It's not like, you know, has God hammered out a a cute little set of armor for little Billy to put on in battle? No, I get to put God's armor on. Isaiah uh, gives us a glimpse of this in chapter 59, Isaiah 59, starting in verse 15. This is fascinating. He says, Now the Lord saw, and it was displeasing in his sight, that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man, and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness. This is God. It says he put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head and he put on garments of vengeance and for clothing and he wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. We have this picture, this incredible picture of God himself putting on armor and going to battle against his enemies. Now what does this mean? How are we to understand this? Well, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people came to understand that one day God himself would intervene. God himself would step into and engage in this spiritual battle. That God would step in and uh, win the battle on behalf of his people. That God would have victory over evil. And they were always looking forward to that day. Now, as New Testament readers, we know that is exactly what has happened, don't we? God himself came to earth as a person of Jesus Christ. And from a cross, Jesus struck a fatal blow against the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers of this present darkness that Paul is warning us against. But in fact, Paul tells us in Colossians that this is what Jesus did in Colossians uh, chapter 2, verse 13. Paul says that Jesus made you alive together with him. 
having forgiven all of our sins, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of these decrees that were against us, which was hostile to us. And he, Jesus, has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, Jesus made a public display of them, having triumphed over them. See, Jesus is seated in victory. Jesus isn't worried about which way this battle is going to go right now. Jesus has struck a fatal blow against Satan. But, and listen, this is important. Satan is fatally wounded, but he's not dead. His defeat has been accomplished, but he's like in his dying throes. He still continues to send his flaming arrows our, our way. As I was thinking about it this week, I was thinking about how in a hockey match, this is the best part of any hockey match, the clock is running out, there's a losing team that has no chance of winning, and things start getting crazy and aggressive, and fights break out in the last minute of the game. Things get nuts. Again, there's no way that the losing team can win, but they make it utterly miserable for the winners. Satan is like that. He's been defeated. He doesn't stand a chance, but he's still fighting in the dying minutes of the game. And so Paul says, be strong. Keep up your guard. Put on God's armor. The darts are still coming. When we put on God's armor, we take a stand with what God has already done for us in Jesus. When we put on God's armor, we stand in victory, even though we go through the motions of spiritual battle. We must recognize the nature of our battle as we use God's resources to fight it. Now today, some of us might feel overwhelmed. It's been a difficult season for many of us. It's been all we can do to survive the last few months. And so the thought of now having to engage in some spiritual battle may sound unbearable to you, impossible even. And this is why Paul is saying to stand firm in the Lord, to stand strong in the Lord. This is why we're to function in the strength of his might and, and not fall into thinking that we're supposed to do this on our own. We can't rely on ourselves. If we do, we're dead. The American theologian uh, Jack Miller wrote, what we sometimes fail to see is that reliance on people and their capabilities, their keeping their promises, or that is a demonic faith. That's in cooperation in heart with the powers of darkness. That's leaning on others. That's leaning on ourselves. See, when we stand alone and we choose to not rely on the promises of God to fight on our behalf, when we become too busy for prayer and for spiritual preparation each day, when we're so focused on our performance that we forget about Jesus' perfect performance on our behalf, when every moment that we stand in our own strength it is a moment spent aiding the enemy in the battle for our hearts and our attention. We actually join in with our enemy when we fail to rely on the promises of God to move on our behalf. In fact, Satan's strategy is to get us to rely on ourselves or other people or anything else in order to get us to lose confidence in the midst of this battle. And so today, Paul reminds us to stand against Satan, to rely on God's power in Jesus. How? He says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the armor of God. Church, we must recognize the nature of the battle we're in. We are in a spiritual battle. We must recognize the nature of our enemy. We must use God's resources to stand firm in this battle. I want to invite up Cece, one of our member of our worship team. 
Few things are more important than understanding the nature of the battle that we face each day. Few things are as important as knowing and understanding the resources that we have in the Lord. Listen, church, Jesus is our resource in battle. Jesus is our armor in battle. We adorn Jesus. We literally put Jesus on. Jesus enables us to stand. Jesus enables us to respond. Jesus enables us to fight. This is why the gospel is vital for us every day of our, our life, not just on that day of salvation when we heard the gospel preach and our, our heart resonated with the heart of God and we responded to the free gift of God in Jesus. The gospel was significant on that day for sure, but the gospel, listen to me, Christian, is absolutely vital for your life today and tomorrow as well. We must remember who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We need to remember who we are in Jesus. We need to remember the strength and the victory and the confidence and the hope that we have in Jesus. Remember that we have tremendous resources and power in the strength of the Lord. Christian, be strong in the Lord and fight in his strength. We fight a defeated foe. We stand in the power of Jesus and we fight. Today, you might feel stuck Maybe you feel stuck in a destructive pattern in your life or a destructive thought pattern in your life. Maybe you feel hopeless and helpless that there's a battle raging around you. Maybe you feel like you're in a losing battle as it is or you feel stuck in, in this pattern that seems overwhelming and you feel too overwhelmed to engage in a fight. You need to hear today that God loves you and that he's for you and that he wants to rescue you even again today. God is not done with you, Christian. Today, God wants to trade your broken heart for Jesus' strength, for Jesus' courage, and for Jesus' victory for this battle that we face. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the, the truth, the reality of the gospel for us for each day of our life. Thank you, God, that even though we face a spiritual battle and we face an enemy that we would rather not face, that, Lord, you have given us everything we need. You've given us even the victory in Jesus. Help us today to appropriate, to put on, God, to, to walk in the reality of who Jesus is and who we are in Christ. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation and strength for anyone whose faith is in Jesus for salvation. And as we continue in this attitude of prayer, if you're a Christian today, believe the Lord, believe the Lord saying to his church, adorn Jesus. Put on Jesus. Cast off, as the writer of Hebrews says, says cast off whatever trips you up in your life, whatever keeps you from standing firm in Jesus. Cast that away. Today is a day of turning from lesser things, turning toward Jesus. Today, again, as we continue in this attitude of prayer, if you don't know Jesus, the Lord is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking. 
And today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you might need to hear today that God is not done with you. Today, God is waiting with open arms to receive you as his own son and daughter. The Bible's clear about our separation from God when we live life apart from Jesus, right? We've all sinned and turned away from God. Every one of us is stuck apart from God. Every one of us needs to be saved out of this stuckness. On our own, we're powerless. Maybe this is you today. Maybe you need to be saved. The good news today is that God loved the world so much. God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus, the perfect one, to sacrifice his perfect life and exchange his perfect life for your broken life, offering you forgiveness of sin and a new life in Jesus. And as Jesus rose from the grave, defeating the power of sin and Satan, so Jesus offers us new life in him. God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. Today, if that's you, if you're recognizing your need for salvation, let's pray this together, church. You can say it in your heart. You can say it out loud. Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I know, God, I know that I'm rebellious in my heart and I need a Savior. I believe that you died for me. Jesus, I believe that you offer me salvation and forgiveness for my sins. And right now, if you're praying this for the first time, pray it in faith. Christian, if you're praying this for the 500th time, you're coming back to Jesus and you're saying, Jesus, I want you to have all of me. Say together right now, I turn from my sin and I open the door of my heart. I open the door of my life to you, Jesus. Confess you, Jesus, as my Savior. Jesus, you are my Savior. If you prayed that prayer of faith, continue with me now. Please, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the strength to walk in this new life. Give me the strength to stand firm. If you're a Christian and you prayed that prayer of faith today, if you're a non-believer and today you became a believer, you put your faith in Jesus, this is we're bowed in a posture of prayer. I just want to ask you to put your hand up so we can pray for you. If you're committing your life to follow Jesus, if you're saying today is the day of salvation, I'm not going to face this battle unarmed. I'm not going to face this battle unequipped. I'm not going to face this enemy by myself. Do you to publicly take a stand and just by raise your hand up. Grab the hand of the person next to you. Put your arm around the person that you brought. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day God is calling us and equipping us and empowering us to engage in this spiritual battle. Brothers and sisters, let's stand firm. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.